sometimes I'll say things that you're not aware of or you'll, you'll kind of raise a right eyebrow and they go, well, I don't know about that. Well, I understand that, but I encourage you to look it up. Instead of just marching out the back door in unbelief and disbelief, I encourage you to look it up. That's why we have these projectors on the screen. And so I'm going to talk about, last week we talked about the manifold grace of God. I was raised in a seemingly God church, and, and we knew it really about one grace. And that grace really had limitations, and, and God, uh, you know how that went. We talked about last week that you could get saved one Sunday, repent that week, and you had to go back and get re-saved. And that was maddening until we kind of grew up and, and we learned about the things of God and the love of God and the principles of, of his word. So last week we talked about being hindered, obstacles, things get our way from getting to a place where we absolutely have a relationship with God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, this is the verse, So every man that has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word manifold, by definition, we told you last week, it means there's multiple, there's a various shapes, sizes, colors, it's a variety of ways. Matter of fact, the word polopriculos is the only word that's used for the code of Joseph in the Old Testament, his code of many colors. And we'll get to that. When Joseph, his mother made him a coat, it was shades by degrees. It wasn't just one piece of garment. It was multiple pieces of garment that was sewed together, and every color was a shade of degree. Colors, moods, emotions, and a and whatever they were going through, she would sew on a piece of fabric until he was fully manifold in, the, in different colors. The manifold grace of God has everything to do with there's many ways the grace of God will come to you. Way beyond just saving you. So if this is new to you, then I'm glad you're here. So we understand last week we talked about there's what we refer to as justifying grace or at our conversion. We're saved. We're justified. We talked about this last week. And number two, we talked about sanctifying grace a little bit last week. And it's the process. Justifying grace is at our conversion where God acquits us and all of our sins are forgiven once and for all. Sanctifying grace is the process where once we get converted and we give our life to Christ, now then it's, a, it's an ongoing process of work, a renewal and regeneration of the Holy Spirit according to Titus 1. So, Brenda asked a question that growing up in a particular church that, well, why is it that I gave my life to Christ and then I found myself sinning? It's because we're humans. Yes. Amen. And we're not God. Amen. One of the problems I have, and I'll, I'll go ahead and spit this out, one of the problems I have with charismatic people is because they're trying to portray themselves as healers that they are almost God himself incarnated again, and we're not. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we're not going to show it, but, but we are justified once and for all. Sanctifying grace, Philippians 1 and 6, it's an ongoing process. Yes. And we'll learn of these in the weeks to come. But in order for you to really appreciate what it's like to be saved once and for all, and before you can really appreciate of knowing that it's the Holy Spirit that's continually working in your heart, you've got to, we've got to go back to the first grace need to be very well aware. So before we can appreciate God saves us, and it's an ongoing process that we were once saved, we are saved now, and will forevermore be saved through the resurrection. We have to go back 
to square one. First John chapter three, verse two, the King James says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know one thing. When he, Jesus, shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See the word beloved? Agapeo is the word for beloved. By definition, the agapeo is the word for the object or the target of God's love. Remember I told you last week the word sin means harmatio. It means someone set up a target. Harmatio is the word sin. And by definition, it's an archer's term, and it means someone set up a, a target, and someone would pull back a bow and arrow, and hopefully they would hit the target. If they missed the target, they sinned. This is one of the problems with your lifestyle of you sinning. Is because when you miss the target with an arrow, it goes where it's not supposed to go. When you sin and you get it wrong, unfortunately, you're hitting another target. And it may be the ears of your three-year-old, the ears of your five-year-old, or the ears of your preacher that's 55 and so. (laughs) Sinning affects more than you just making a mistake. So we have two people that's holding up a target and say, here, take this bow and arrow and try to hit the target. If you don't hit the target, it's hitting something else or someone else. So when people sin, I've heard it for 35 years, well, just leave me alone and let me sin. That would be great if you were on an island by yourself, knucklehead. But you're not. And your anger and your temper and your tantrums and all that is not only hurting you, but it's affecting other people. But God has a target himself. God has a target himself. And if sin has a target, then God has a target because sin is the opposite of God. And that target is you or his beloved. And beloved, by definition, means agapeo. It means the target of what God's love is aiming at. Boom. And the great thing about God, he's a great shot. He doesn't miss. And I told you in the Old Testament, the Bible said the tribe of Benjamin were all left-handed and they never sinned. It means they never missed. God never misses when he aims with his love. I don't care who you are and how bad you are. When God wants you, he'll get you. Now, this is going to be weird to some of you, but it's okay. You need to hear it. Turn to somebody and say, well, you're weird. You might as well listen to this. God has a target, and his target was you if you're saved. And his target was to show you eternal and divine love and affection. And he hit us bullseye. And if you're not saved this morning, then you can pray that God's divine love will hit you today. So let's begin. Genesis chapter 1 explains that God created the heavens and the earth. He painted the sky blue. He colored the grass green. He decorated it with with blue ocean waters and purple mountains. He sprinkled in a few fish, fowls, and felines, and bam, God said, this is good. It's what I want. So after he got everything created, God looked around me and he said, something's still missing. 
Something's missing. I want something. But it's not here. God wanted more than lions, tigers, and bears. God created man after his own image and his own likeness because God wanted that he could and he would have a relationship of love and affection with a creature that he made. If you're new to this saying, I say it many times, but in all the creation, he spoke it. He said, let there be light, let there be the moon, let there be the stars, let there be the waters, let there be the firmness, let there be all the animals, let there be the fish, fowls, plants and animals and vegetations until they come to man. And he touched him. God did not speak mankind into existence. He reached down into the earth and he got him a handful of earth and he touched man. And this is why you've always been longing to be touched by God ever since. Because you were meant to be touched by God. And it's more than just coming, hearing me say, the Lord said. My desire is for you to be able to walk into this church house and without anyone saying anything to you, somehow you feel that God somehow has touched you. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve made some wrong choices. And because of those wrong choices, it brought about separation in our union with God. That's found in Romans 5 and 12. So once they were removed from the garden because God had to keep his word, but immediately God set in motion a plan to bring back to himself his creation or his beloved. He did not say, I think I'll just start all over. He did not say that. He said, I've got to have a plan. And God created, had a secret weapon. He had a special gift. And he had a powerful potion that would return those two beloved back to himself. And the process of that is what we refer to in Christianity as redemption. But the special gift was called prevenient grace. So immediately when man and woman was removed from the garden, God said, I've got to do something to get them back. It broke his heart because when they left, but he had to keep his word. And Romans 5 and 12 tells us, because the act of one man sent her into the world. And when sin came, death came. And the word death means separation from God. And death was passed to all men. And as he watched them being escorted out of the garden with a angel with a flaming sword to keep them from coming back in. But he said, <clears throat> I will not let them die alone. I'll begin the process. And I've got a secret weapon and I've got a plan and I've got, a, I've got potion number nine that'll get them every time. And it's called prevenient grace. This is a grace that's probably brand new to some of you. This is a grace that some of you have never heard before in your entire life. But it's part of the manifold grace of God. There's a variety of graces that God uses. You just happen to be acquainted with one or two, but here's the first one, prevenient grace. So let's look at this word prevenient grace real quickly. It's composed of two Latin words. Matter of fact, Julius Caesar said these three things, Vini, Vidi, and Vici. I came, 
I saw, I conquered. The word prevenient grace is made of two Latin words. First one is pre, where we get a word for before. It's a Latin word. And the second one is veni. It means to come or I came or the word come. You put them both together, it means to come before. Prevenient grace, by definition, means to come before. Preveni. To come before. The second word is grace. Haris. It's spelled charis, but it's called haris. It's a gift or a token, which most of us are aware of, but here's the true definition. Haris means it is the superior supplying to the inferior. That's all it means. Whether it be groceries or economics, food, water, or salvation, the superior, which is God, he supplies everything that the inferior needs. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He's saying the word haris. God has everything, and you're bankrupt. Blessed are you that are poor in spirit, that you don't have anything in your pocket spiritually, but the kingdom of heaven is fixed to be yours. Why? Because you're bankrupt, but God has it all. He'll give you everything that he has. So instead of whining and complaining what you don't have, understand you ought to be rejoicing because God has it all. And James chapter 1 tells us that God is not a God that, is, that, that abrades. It means holds back. He's a God that gives liberally. And if you lack wisdom, ask him. If you need salvation, ask him. If you need healing, ask him. And if, if you need to get rid of your neighbor's cash, just ask him. He'll help you. <laughs> the second word is grace. So it's God, the superior, supplying everything to inferior. Prevenient grace, by definition, it is a gift from God that comes to us before our awareness or even our human decision. God's grace was at work in my life long before I was even aware of it. This is, this is what they taught you, and I'm going to do my very best to put a, a, a brain shocker on your brain to get rid of that concept, that one day you just perked up and say, hey, I think I'll give my life to God. That never happened. You might have said that, but that thought never came from you. Because the Bible said in Ephesians chapter 2 that you were dead in trespasses and sin. I didn't know a dead man could say anything. He didn't say you were wounded, you were disabled. He just said you were dead. Sin had you dead. Sin, you were buried up in sin. I, I've performed a lot of services at funerals, but I never had anybody come up in that coffin and say, hey, I think I'll come back. That never happens. You were dead in sin and trespasses. A dead man can't say anything. You are born in sin and death, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I don't mean you were wounded. I mean you were dead. So how is it possible that, that a holy God can, can, can do something with an unholy person? And, and we'll explain this this morning. That you just did, even if you're here this morning, and the day that you decide to give your life to Christ, and I'll say you decided, it's kind of a play of words, and I understand, because I don't want to throw everybody about the boat, but here's the deal. That God is the one that was working in your life way before you was even aware what he was doing. Because you had no desire to serve God. There was nothing in you that wanted to serve God. 
Romans chapter 3 says we are all like men or with filthy rags. It was a woman's menstrual cycle rag. Sorry about that. It's all that men. You are, the, you are the reject of all rejects. May God, through his mercies and goodness, save us. All of our righteousness is nothing but a polluted and a contaminated act of works. Filthy rags. So prevenient grace is one of the manifold wisdom or the manifold graces of God that's at work in your life way before you get saved. Anybody here besides me saved? Don't be that excited about it. Did you know that he was at work in your life before he justified you and, and brought you conversion? Did you know that the Holy Spirit of God himself was working a grace in your life way before the moment you gave your life to Christ. He was. It means prevenient or grace that came before you were even aware of it. Did you know that she was born way before you married her? AJ, are you aware of that? Are you aware that, that she was born and had a life way before you met her? It's amazing. You mean to tell me that God made her, created her, gave her birth to her parents and, and raised her up and all this thing, and all he was doing is preparing her to consummate with you in marriage. And, and even while you were running around the air traffic control saying, I don't know what I'm going to do in my life. He said, I'd like to tell you, but I'm not going to spoil it. I got a woman. Where are you from? Puerto Rico. I got a woman in Puerto Rico. That's coming to Florida. But I'm just not going to tell you. But when you meet her, your eyes are going to go, and you'll want to marry her. <clears throat> See, God was at work way before you were even aware she was on the planet. You lose the sense of appreciation for God when you don't understand this concept because you think you just march in the door and say, okay, God, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I can play the piano, I can play guitar, I, I, can, I can do these things, you'll be glad to have me. Where do I sign up at? Churches are full of that. There's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney. There's other words for it, but I, this is a G-rated audience. I'm going to tell you right now, there wasn't nothing lovely about you. You were pathetic. And you still have your days. God's revealing your grace. He was at work in your life from the time you were born to the time you were justified by his grace, justifying grace. You always knew him somehow. Somehow you always knew him. Somehow I always knew him. I, I can't speak for you, so I'm going I'm to retract that. I always knew him. I don't know how. And whether my classmates wanted me to steal gum or candy, I couldn't do it. And even if I did, I felt horrible about it. I took it back. Why was that? sitting on a bar stool somewhere, and this is a G-rated audience singing Amazing Grace, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Something on the inside when everybody else was laughing and having a good time, I didn't belong here. What is that? 
that was God's prevenient grace that was coming to my life way before I was aware he was even on the planet after me. And little did I realize I was the object of his love and he was about to hit me right between the eyes with it. Now, prevenient grace, prevenient, has a cousin, kind of. And it's the closest word that we have in the English language. And it's a word called prevention. They're kind of kin, but they're not really. By definition, prevention is something that is done ahead of time in order to keep something from happening. Prevenience means something that's done ahead of time in order to make something happen. So prevention means something that's done ahead of time to keep something from happening. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why not me? Don't answer these. Why not me? A few of you reluctantly raised your hand when I asked you if you're saved, so it's okay. But, but why not you? Why was your life spared before you come to know Christ? The drug overdose that should have did you in didn't. sitting in a, in a bar room when a bar room brawl broke out and bullets buzzing everywhere around you never found you. Did you ever ask yourself why? Driving home on a two-lane road at 2 a.m. and you find out the next day was really a two-lane road? <laughs> but you made it home? Why not you? The prevention of grace means this, that God, ahead of time, kept something from happening to you in order that you would one day understand his prevenient grace, that he did something to cause something to happen to you. You see, God's been at work all your life and you're not even aware of it. And I know you want to kick and scream and say, well, why did this happen? Why did that happen? I, I, I don't have answers for that. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29. Some things I don't know, but he said, the things you do know, talk about it at volume 10. I don't know why things happen. I don't know why God allowed things to happen. I don't have a clue. But I know one thing. By all rights, from the time I was born to the time I really got saved, by all rights, there were several times in my life I should probably not still be alive. And I asked myself one day, why not me? Why did I survive it? Why am I the only one that walked out of that car alive? Why am I the only one to come out of that boat incident not drowned? 
And the prevenient grace of God said, I've kept you until I saved you and justified you. The grace of, of God, the prevenient grace of God is at work in our lives between our conception and our conversion. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It says, God loved us first. You see, back then, I didn't realize it, and I realize it now at a prime old age of 63 or 62, that God was pulling at my heartstrings my whole life. He was tugging on my heart when I was a child. He was pulling at my heartstring when I was a teenager. When I got to be a grown man, he was pulling and wooing me. So I would respond to his offer of love and say, yes, I would like to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That is God's provenient grace. Grace that came before the day you said, I accept Christ as Lord and Savior. His grace brought you. His grace saved you. Watch this. And His grace will keep you. Fascinating scripture is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and it says this. But God commended His love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word commended is a funny word. It's called a sinistal. It means to move towards or pursue. It means to stalk. It means to track down. Listen, listen to what John says. And he says it's so encrypted to the people in, in, in our culture, we don't get it. But he's saying like this, while we were still sinners, God stalked us. While we were still unlovable, God pursued us. While you are still a stinker, God tracked you down. Somebody said, I found God. God wasn't lost. You were lost. <laughs> while I was unlovely, while I was wretched, while I was miserable, well, I was voting in my high school less likely to ever become amount to anything. And I bought into that. And so I did my very best for the first 21 years of my life to prove those people right. And then a demon moved in, and boy, he, he set up shop in my life. And while I was continuing to run from God, you know what he was doing? God didn't say, well, I'll just wait till you straighten up and come back begging. He said, I'm going to stalk you. I'm going to pursue you. If you can't outrun the long arm of the law, I will track you down. I know some of you have given up on God, but here's the good news. He'll never give up on you. There was a well-known cartoon character, Pepe Le Pew. Anybody remember Pepe Le Pew? They don't show that anymore. There's two characters involved in this cartoon. There's a skunk, and there's a female black cat that has an accidental stripe. But he loves her. He loves her. And that love is not reciprocated. <laughs> not even of the same species. 
They're both quadrupeds. And they're not even from the same kind, but it doesn't stop him. He loves her. She doesn't even speak one word in all the cartoons I've ever heard. He does all the talking. She doesn't say anything to affirm his affection for her. Matter of fact, she does the opposite. She resists him as hard as she can go. But no matter where she goes, he always finds her. Sounds like me and God. Sounds like God and Robert. Sounds like God and all of us. We're not even of the same kind. He's a holy God and I'm a holy mess. And somewhere at a young boy on vacation, Bible school, the first time you ever sat in this church, for the first time, you felt the love of God. And you did your very best to run away. And you had all the excuses why you didn't deserve to be loved. And even though they were warranted and legal, but, but that never stopped God. He kept right on pursuing you. He kept right on tracking you. He kept right on stalking you with gifts of love and kindness and generosity and forgiveness. And, and I have plans for your life. And even though you would say in your heart, I don't want any part of you, God. I hate you. Leave me alone. It never stopped him from pursuing you with provenient grace. And no matter how much you resisted, the Bible is true. That God's love conquers all things. One of the beautiful things about this is that even while we were yet sinners and even while we are yet unlovely and even while nobody wanted us and even while everyone was throwing us out the back door saying you're trash under my feet God began the process of pursuing you and wooing you and pulling at your heartstrings <clears throat> And like good old Peppy there, no matter where you went, he found you. And I know some of you say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just stay away from church. God said, that never stopped me. Matter of fact, I went fishing with a little boy named Jonah, and I found him in the belly of a well. I know what I'll do. I'll throw the biggest party that Ardmore has ever seen. I'll just show God. And it's amazing. God's a big old party pooper because he'll make you so miserable. And where can I go, he says, then I could escape your presence. If I go to the highest of all the heavens or if I ascend to the lowest of the earth, you're with me. God has always been in love with you. He's always loved you. from a little boy to a little girl that he's always had his hand on your hearts 
and he was leaving his thumbprints upon the walls of your heart that would never be duplicated. And when you felt his touch, something magical happened. Ravinia grace is the grace that God has kept you. He's led you. He's pulled you. He prevented some things from happening to you. Until that day you come to that relationship where he justifies you. He's always known you. If you'll give me till next week, I'll, I'll take you through the series of scriptures of, of great men in the Bible that knew this. But you've always known him somehow. Somehow you've always known God, somehow. You've heard me say that when Adam was made, that Adam was made in the likeness of God and he stood there and Certain things happened, and then all of a sudden that he went to sleep, and God put him to sleep, and he made woman. And when he woke up from his sleep, he looked at her, and he said, my goodness, he called her Isha. It means that when I see you, I see myself. His name was Ish, means the likeness of God. And when he looked at her, he called her Isha, means that in the likeness, of when I see you, I see me. But you have parts that I don't have, and I got parts you don't have, but how is it that I already know what your favorite color is? I'm used to dealing with rhinos and hippos and lions and tigers and bears. And for the first time that I see you, that I don't even know who you are, how do I know that your favorite food is this? And how do I know that you're a sucker for French poetry? How do I know that you love to rise up early in the morning? How do I, how do I know that you're, you love the sunsets? How do I know that about you? And I, I've never even spoken a word to you because here's the truth. She was always in him. Genesis 1 and 29. He put male and female in the man's body. It wasn't that he was bisexual. He just took her and stored it in him until that day he pulled her out. And when he looked at her, he said, I don't know how I know, but I know everything about you because you've always been in me. And Ephesians chapter 1 said, from the foundations of the earth, Aaron, we were in Christ. And at Calvary, the last Adam, he pulled the church out, the bride out of his right side. How do I know him? I've always been in him. How do I know what pleases him? I've been in him since the foundation of the earth. And it's God's grace. It was God's prevenient grace that kept his hand on me and led me to a place where I finally said, I want to know you as Lord and Savior. He justified me. So let's don't play games here. If you've never really been born again and repented of your sins, there's no salvation, no conversions without repentance. You don't get the fringe benefits of salvations without repentance. So let's don't play games here. Repentance brings about godly sorrow and godly sorrow brings about godly salvation if you've never truly been born again but you're here you've got a wonderful lesson on why you're here 
because God's provenient grace brought you here. And he pulled the bus over and he said, get out. I want you to hear the gospel. He's always loved you. He's always cared for you. He's prevented things from happening to you. But his provenience has kept you to this place, that moment where you surrendered and made Jesus Lord of your life. That's the manifold grace of God. And if you'll bear with me, we'll talk about the grace that'll keep you. And we'll talk about the grace that is removing sin from your life on a daily basis. And that's another grace. But this first one is so important that you understand that he's in love with you. And he loved you so much that he commended or he stalked you, he pursued you, and as good old as Pepe Le Pew, he tracked you down. Because he loves you. Father, this morning that this simple cartoon illustration that we saw best describes, I guess, how you love us. A skunk and cat are not even of the same species, but yet he loved her. And he wanted her. And she had a marking on her that she was the object of his affection and love. And no matter how much she resisted, it didn't stop him. It didn't matter how much she pushed him away. It didn't keep him from coming. Father, this morning, thank you that when we were unlovable and we were a mess and we were covered in sin and filth and, and depravity and all the sewer that comes with it, but yet you pursued us. You loved us. You stalked us. You tracked us down. We did our very best to resist you, but you would not take no for an answer. There's some people here this morning that did their very best to prove you wrong. But you got more grace than I got sin. And you kept loving, you kept pursuing. In dark days, in prison cells, in rehab centers, in divorce courts, you would never leave us alone. You kept pursuing us because your grace was the gift that you gave us that would lead us to the cross that our sins could be forgiven. And I'm so thankful for the provenient grace of God in my life. If you're here this morning, you've never ever made a commitment to God. 
I mean, you might have played around in church, but if you've never made a commitment to God, now then you understand how you got here. His grace brought you here. And sin and unkind words and bad relationships have marked you up and scarred you up. But He's brought you here to love you, to give you a hope and a future. You are the object of God's love, and He never misses. Father, this morning we repent as a church. I just bring to you, I understand clearly now that it's always been you. We understand it's always been you. You moved us, you positioned us, you prevented things from happening, you caused things to happen to bring us to this place today, and we repent this morning. And for those that are here that need to make a personal commitment to you, let that be done before they leave this service today. Thank you for your provenient grace. Thank you for the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life before we we're even aware of it. But you had plans for us. And for this, we're very thankful. Stand to your feet this morning, if you would, please. Is there anybody else here beside me that was a mess? Am I the only one here in this church house that absolutely did their very best to run from God? Am I the only guy in this place this morning that did very best to prove the Bible wrong, that he can't love the unlovable? But he did. And there's hope for you. Father, in the next few weeks, we're going to go on a journey and we're going to talk about the goodness of your graces. And we're going to be good students of your word because we're going to learn to appreciate you. We're going to learn to appreciate you and what you're doing in our lives. And we learned a little bit this morning, Father, what you have done. And we're going to learn even more what you're going to do to make sure that we spend eternity with the one who loves us. In Jesus' name. The people of God say amen. God is so good. God has more grace than you have sin. Communion service, if you'll make your way here this morning. If you're visiting, we celebrate Holy Communion. You're, this is not a close. This is the Lord's invitation to you. You're not excluded. We're not, we're not going to pat you down. We're not going to check your resume, what you did, good or bad, last week. I'm just telling you, this was the last thing that Jesus gave us orders to do. was to take communion. And he broke it down in such wonderful, simple, elementary words.
even the gospel for those of you this morning that know a little about the gospels, but nobody ever running, never came running up to Jesus say, hey, I think I want to follow you. Wherever he went, watch this, he said, follow me. John 15 and 15, he says, watch this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose God this morning. From the foundation of the earth, he chose you. And he set his provenient grace in motion the day you were born to keep you until the day you were born again. It's all God. He said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the Passover sacrifice, the unleavened bread. But he said, now then, in John 6, Jesus said, now then, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. And whoever eats of me will never hunger again. And they took the bread. He said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the communion with the lamb's blood, and they would take the blood of the lamb, and they would place it on the doorpost in the shape of the cross. But he said in John 1, 29, I am the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And now my father will take my blood, and he will place it in the shape of a cross on Golgotha, that your sins will be forgiven. And as often as you drink of this cup and eat of this bread, remember me. It's all about me. Father, thank you for the grace of God that comes in various ways. Even when we're not aware of it, thank you. We ask you to bless this cup and bless this bread. And I pray that you will somehow cause this small body of believers to become so connected, not only to one another, but you. Thank you for pulling at our heartstrings. Thank you for, like Pepe, loving us when we didn't want to be loved. We give you thanks.